man, I just, uh, I had a sip of my, my coffee, and, uh, I warmed it up too hot. Burned my tongue! So you're getting a burnt tongue episode of PH5 for the month of, well, it's, it's September now, but we're talking about August. Um, hi. This is Phil. Back with my second episode in almost as many weeks, uh, because we skipped out on doing July because it sucked. Uh, in terms of releases. And you know, if I'm being 100% honest with all of you folks out there, uh, August wasn't great either. Um, so, you know, I did my episode about uh, the New Friends Festival, which was a lot of fun. It was great to get to talk to uh, Veronica and Bob and Sean. Um, it's a pretty long episode, though, wouldn't you say? Like, half the length of Oppenheimer. Which I saw again last night, by the way. Uh, also, the fucking air show is going on here in Toronto right now, so... Excuse the obnoxious background noises. I can't believe we still do this shit. Like, who's this for, you know? It, I mean, it can only really be for, like, like 80-year-olds. I guess. So, you know, let's- here's to hoping that in a decade from now or so we won't do it anymore because all the people that enjoy it oh, won't be here uh, to dictate whether or not we need to put up with this obnoxious bullshit for uh, one weekend every year of the year. Um, but yeah, just a little apology there that if uh, things get loud, it's not my fault, okay? Uh, anyway, so I was saying, August, August wasn't great either, so this won't be another hundred minute long episode. You hear this shit? Like, this drives me insane. Like, like, is it necessary to sound like, like a bomb is about to go off every ten minutes? Anyway, uh, August wasn't great either. But, you know, I was able to kind of scrounge up enough music to talk about. Um, and again, it's just been so long since we've had a kind of straightforward PH5 episode that I felt like, why not? Let's do it. So, this will likely be a shorter one, but I kind of always end up saying that and then it just ends up being two hours long anyway. Uh, but I feel like that's not going to be the case today. So we're just going for like a, a short and sweet, compact, to the point, meat and potatoes episode of PH5 this time around. You know, something just to kind of get you through your uh, morning commute, you know? Something to kind of get your your brain going to start off the day or end the day. I don't know. I, I don't know what your, your particular podcasting habits are like. Uh, but, you know, I hope you enjoy the episode. Um, I will say, despite the shortcomings of the month, uh, there were a few records that I actually really, really liked. So, you know, shout out to the two records which I will speak on uh, a little bit later in the episode, because without them, uh, this absolutely would not be happening right now. Um, and enjoy me try to kind of make filler commentary about the other records that I had to um, really scraggle together some half-assed thoughts on. I'm really selling this episode, aren't I? Good. Okay, well, I'll try to bring a sort of, like, interesting energy 
to the episode to kind of make up for the, we'll say, lack of actual uh, in-depth content itself. This will be a more like style over substance show. Whereas last time was just pure like, you know, conversation and, uh, you know, cutting edge thoughts and commentary on, you know, the hardcore and screamo scene of uh, the modern age. This will, this will probably be a little bit sillier. But, uh, I don't know what's gonna happen. We'll just have to wait and see. Anyway, as always, thank you for listening. Um, it's pretty impressive. This is like year three. And, uh, the amount of people who listen hasn't really changed. So I know there's a core group of you out there who have been kind of sticking through this over the years. And uh, I just want to say appreciate you guys. Um, you know, I don't really care about growing my audience or whatever, and this is just something that I like to do once a month for an hour or two. Um, just like to talk about music, and uh, so I appreciate those who listen. Um, keeps me going just knowing that there's even a few of you out there. Uh, and, you know, and the people who don't listen, I totally get it. I, I, I mean, I don't really understand the people who do listen. So, appreciate that. Shall we then, folks? Let's get into it. So, this is PH5 rounding up August 2023's new music releases. Let's go. Okay, so, coming in at number five for August 2023, we have DJ Sabrina the Teenage DJ, great name, with Destiny. So, full disclosure, I listened to this album a grand total of one time, uh, and I didn't even finish it. <laughs> but... If you let me explain a little bit more, uh, I think it'll make sense why I'm including it. Mo I'm mostly including it again because I just have to, like, fucking <laughs> come up with some shit to say to kind of bridge the gap between when we actually get to the records that I want to talk about. But I do find this record interesting, and the reason being... Uh, I think the big, biggest part of why I find it interesting um, is because it's four hours long. Yeah, it's four hours long. Uh, I don't know many four-hour-long records. You know, I like long records. Um, you know, one of my favorite records from this year is the the Bell Witch record, which is uh, like an hour and forty minutes long. And it's one song, and it's technically not even the whole song, it's only one third of one song. So, like, I'm about that shit. But a four hour long record, hmm, that's a, whew, that's a tough summit to ascend, you know? But the whole thing is the kind of music that DJ Sabrina, the teenage DJ, and yes, I will be saying the full name every time I refer to her, uh, the type of music that she makes is almost kind of conducive to these epic length experiences. Um, so she makes a kind of music that is uh, 
reminiscent in ways of what kind of girl talk and the avalanches were doing. Uh, that kind of style of music that it's called plunder phonics. You know, it's, it's essentially music that's made out of other music. You know, DJs, which again, it's right there in the name. She literally has DJ in her name twice, so there's no confusion. Uh, th that's kind of the whole conceit of what DJs do is, uh, they, you know, they create these sets that are comprised of other people's music. Well, Plunder Phonics kind of takes it a step further and, uh, you know, it's the creation of songs that uses elements from already existing music to create new music and uh it kind of reframes reference points within music into kind of a different context that uh, allows you to kind of hear things that are familiar but in a, in a different way and to elicit different emotions or whatever it may be um oh, these motherfucking planes i swear to god don't they know i'm trying to do a podcast right now um so the main difference, I think, between, uh, you know, Girl Talk and the Avalanches is, uh, Sabrina's reference, sorry, DJ Sabrina, the Teenage DJ's reference points are a little bit harder to pick out. Um, Girl Talk in particular, uh, they made a whole career out of using recognizable pieces of popular music and kind of reconstructing them and juxtaposing them with other pieces of popular music so that you were always... It was always kind of like a, a little wink and a nudge what you were listening to of like, hey, what if I did a Backstreet Boys with, like, I don't know, like a, a Daft Punk beat or something like that, where the whole idea is you, you recognize what's happening, you recognize that it's being used differently, and you kind of get that little, like, ooh when you hear it. Uh, and the avalanches, you know, were a little bit more abstract where they would pull They would pull like sound clips and, and sound effects as often as they would pull kind of musical pieces and create uh, their songs that way In this whole four-hour listening experience that I had which again um, Was in a old car stereo as I drove long ways across a gravel highway so it wasn't exactly the most conducive, clear experience for, uh, you know, being able to pick out what it is that I'm actually listening to. I didn't really recognize a single piece of music that I was listening. And that's kind of a testament to the crate digging ability that DJ Sabrina, the teenage DJ, has. Uh, you know, picking more obscure references that kind of live more in the the indie pop, and almost kind of like the blog pop realm, like Saint Etienne and, and, and different kind of bands like that. Uh, but also the way that she's really effective at kind of taking other people's sounds and bringing it together into something that's kind of really individual to her. So the sound, the music that she makes is really almost like frothy and, and, and fuzzy and... Uh, Noisy, but not in like a like a noisy way that you kind of think of when you think of noise But everything is just kind of like very gently squished together and, and, and um, 
you know, it's hard to really pick out individual aspects of the sounds that you're hearing. It's all in favor of creating this kind of um, dance vibe that just feels good and, you know, is easy to listen to. Uh, you know, it's a four hour long album, but you could really start it and finish it at any point within that four hours and get an enjoyable experience out of it. Obviously, it's meant to be played for the full four hours, uh, but it's not meant to be active listening. You're not meant to actually sit there and be like, oh, hmm, you know, for four hours. It's it's more background music, you know, soundtrack a party or soundtrack, um, you know, some late night studying or cleaning your house or, you know, whatever the, the fuck kind of idle activities that you typically do with some musical accompaniment in the background. I mean, it sounds kind of like a diss to be like, oh, it's great background music, but that's kind of what it is, and I mean that in a nice way, you know? Uh, and maybe my listening experience is part of the reason why I didn't really pick up on any references. Maybe it's the kind of thing where you'll listen, and you know, you'll be like, I don't know, doing the dishes, and you'll, you'll hear something, and it'll be like, oh, haha, <laughs> I know that. Can you hear that plane? Christ, um, it's just, it's just not, it's, 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 it's fucking with my flow, you know, I like settle into a groove and then nothing, um, unbelievable, so, yeah, again, is this gonna be a record that I ever listen to again, I mean, I might throw it on at a party, like a barbecue, something like that, but it's not something that I will ever actively listen to again. But you know what? I enjoyed it for the experience and the time that I had with it. And you got to give kudos to a four hour long record. Like that's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort, a lot of energy put into something that is uh, very esoteric and something that you can't really present to people and hope that the masses will latch onto it because it's just so, so much. Uh, so kudos to DJ Sabrina, the teenage DJ. Uh, and that's coming in at number five. So number five for August 2023, we have DJ Sabrina, the teenage DJ with Destiny. Four hours of plunderphonic dance bliss. Okay, well, now that that next extraordinarily obnoxious uh, swelling of plane engineering, actually, that's kind of a, a nice tie-in, uh, has commenced flying over my fucking head, uh, we're ready to move on to number four for August 2023. So, coming in at number four, we have... Open Mic Eagle with another triumph of ghetto engineering. Hold on, quick uh, quick coffee swig here. Ooh, love it. So, Open Mic Eagle is kind of like a, like a part-time comedian, part-time rapper. 
he kind of splits his bill between um, both. And he's kind of carved out an interesting place in with for himself within both spheres as a, kind of like a rapper comedian that is kind of like serious at both, if that makes any sense. I mean, you have few people like Zach Fox who are, you know, comedians who happen to make rap. Um, but then you have, you know, other people say like Danny Brown, who is a rapper who happens to have kind of like a more comedic podcast. Open Mike Eagle is kind of both, you know, he's not one who does this or, you know, the other that does that. He's kind of both a comedian and a rapper um, in his rights equally in both professions. Okay, quick second for the apocalyptic horseman of doom to finish flying over this fucked up city. Whenever you're ready, guys. Okay, great. Thank you. Moving on. So, with this kind of, uh, you know, place in his life where he is kind of equally a rapper, equally a comedian, uh, he's again entered this interesting phase of his career where he's able to deliver these kind of low stakes, uh, you know, projects for both his rap side and his comedian side. He's a he's a really funny guy. Would absolutely recommend um, you know checking out one of his stand-up shows or one of his comedy specials. Uh, but he's never really like made anything big and definitive and broke out in a big way. And that's kind of where he stands in the rap world too. You know, uh, his projects are always low stakes and fun, but uh, they're always pretty good too and and they always manage to kind of transcend this comedian rapper title and when he's rapping yeah the raps are funny but you never think to yourself like oh this is just like joke rap it's you know well done hip-hop that happens to be funny because the rapper himself is just a naturally funny guy so Again, this is another one of those kind of easygoing, low-stakes records that he's kind of made his name off of at this point. It's not very long. It's only like maybe 25 minutes long or so. Um, and one of the songs is literally just him shouting out all of his friends and colleagues. But it's this kind of hip-hop that uh, I think is really underappreciated in this day and age. Uh, I think a lot about like how rap in the last year was really hurting and clamoring for some kind of a big event, you know? And, you know, like it or not, Utopia by Travis Scott was finally the big hip-hop album that had been missing for a long time, you know? As hip-hop has been um, notably decreasing in cultural relevance just by taking a look at the billboard charts uh, over the past year or so you know there hasn't been a number one hip-hop song uh, in over a year at this point travis was the first uh, number one hip-hop album to be number one for multiple weeks since 
fuck, I don't know. Again, something last year. Uh, so you can definitely see that hip-hop's kind of dwindling in terms of mainstream viability. And there's been this whole thing about, like, oh, hip-hop's dead, blah, 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 blah. And it's the same bullshit that happened, you know. Rock is dead, blah, blah, blah. It's, no, like, none of these things are ever dead. None of these genres are ever going to be dead. It's just a matter of whether they are viable commercially or not anymore. And what we see always happens is a genre becomes popular and becomes a mainstream kind of powerhouse. And all of the resources get sucked into, you know, a few of these money-making machines whether it be these big bands that are making all the hits, or in the case of hip-hop, these rap artists that are making all the hits. And what happens in response to that is the attention and the, the money goes away from the actual creative drivers of the genre itself. And subsequently, the genre becomes stale, um, as, you know, it just becomes more of a race to make the most money instead of a race to make the best art you possibly can and the cultural relevance starts dwindling because people start stop caring because it just isn't that good anymore this is perfectly healthy though for the genres because as a cultural relevance stops starts dwindling and less of the money gets pumped into these kind of institutional acts you get the more fringe scenes that start to really blossom and, and flourish. And that's what happened with rock. Uh, as we saw rock die, you know, we saw a lot of the more subgenres of rock, the more kind of underground things um, start to really build up again and get really strong. And well, now we're seeing now, like there's a little bit of rock cultural relevance coming back again. And it's all cyclical. And this, this is kind of what's happening with rap right now. Um, sure, the, you know, big money-making trap of the late 2010s, early 2020s is no longer really the force that it used to be, but what's happening is all of these kind of sub, you know, these underground scenes and these, you know, micro, um, you know, regional scenes are really starting to make some really fantastic music. And, you know, you see that in New York with uh, Billy Woods in the Backwoods and um, Boldy James and that whole crew coming out of New York and, and really bringing underground New York hip-hop back to, like, cultural and critical relevance again. Um, you see what's happened in Detroit with, uh, you know, Detroit rap becoming this huge force. Detroit and specifically Michigan rap and, and, and Flint and stuff like that becoming this cool new scene. Um, and this is just going to keep happening because people who love the genre are always going to love the genre. And when this sh music that kind of has defined the genre is no longer making stuff worth listening to, they're going to turn elsewhere. And... You know, that's where we're getting some, you know, some of the best hip-hop of the past little while coming out in no way related to trap, because that's just a genre that's been beaten to death. And I think you hear it on the Travis Scott record, like, 
This is kind of like the last grasp um, of trap music, quote-unquote, if you ask me. Um, sure, it, it was kind of a sales juggernaut and did spend a few weeks at number one. But I think overall, people just don't think it's that great. And there was this huge hope that this would be the, you know, the breath of fresh air and breathing new life into that kind of genre. And I actually don't think that that's what the album achieved at all. Um, you know, despite despite its sales, I think it was kind of a failure. My point of all this being, you know, this Open Mike Eagle record is another kind of relic, although relic implies that it's, you know, old, just came out like a week or two ago, uh, of this, you know, phenomenon where these smaller scenes are just making really, really quality music. So, my point of all this is whenever kind of discourse starts saying that a certain genre is dead, that's when you really have to start paying attention to it, because that's when some of the best music of that genre is probably being made, you know? It's, it's being made kind of in the shadows, it's being made under the surface, uh, and, you know, like, rap will come back. It might be a long time from now, where it rules the charts the way that it did back in, you know, even three or four years ago. Um, it will be back, but it'll have a new shape, a new form. It'll be interesting to see which of these kind of regional scenes ends up being the one that takes the mainstream back by storm, you know, over the past kind of five, six years or so, it's been the Atlanta trap scene that the mainstream has kind of sculpted its sound around to create these kind of mainstream um, juggernauts. But who knows what it'll be next time, you know? In, in the 90s, it was kind of the California, the West Coast thing. Um, you know, for a while there in the early, 20, uh, early 2000s, it was, uh, you know, New York and Brooklyn with Jay-Z and whatnot. So who's next? I can't wait to find out, but keep your eye on all of these kind of smaller regional projects because there's some really great stuff going on and uh, this latest open mic eagle record is just another example of them. I hope what I just said there made any kind of sense. So coming in at number four for August 2023 is open mic eagle, another triumph of ghetto engineering. Okay, uh, so number three for August 2023 is Prune with Through the Window. Prune, let's be clear here, uh, it's like prawn with an E, not like what you do to, uh, tomatoes? Do you prune tomatoes? I guess, do you prune plums? What do you prune? It doesn't matter what you prune. We're not here to talk about the verb prune. We're here to talk about the artist prune, which again is spelled P-R-E-W-N. And the record is called Through the Window. So prune is, I'll say, a folk artist? 
She definitely makes music that is very much um, within that sphere. Now, uh, if you know anything about me or this podcast, you'll know that I don't really like folk music. So there's a reason why I wanted to include this artist, and it's because I think that in terms of that particular um, silly little genre... This is really some of the most interesting stuff that I've heard in a long time. And I don't pretend to know really anything about this artist. Uh, It was something that I saw recommended on this website that I frequent. I decided to just check it out because I didn't know what the hell else to listen to. And I was on a bunch of long plane rides recently. So, you know, I was open to kind of give anything a shot. And I was really happy that I, I... I gave this record a listen, and I've actually listened to it quite a bit since. It's a it's a really really interesting record that uh, kind of brings to mind um, freak folk, that kind of weird genre that kind of had a moment um, in the early to mid two thousands with uh, Animal Collective, Song Tongs. Um, and Devandra Barn, Devandra something heart, <laughs> what was his last name? I don't know. Devandra whatever heart. Hopefully not Devandra broken heart. Uh, we're all rooting for you. Uh, freak folk is, is again a genre that is, is, is basically folk music, but freaky. <laughs> Weird. Um, bringing in unusual elements and, and usually weird strange, warbly singing and and stuff like this. Again, I wasn't exactly a huge fan of the genre back when it was kind of big in its heyday back in the day. Uh, but I, I, there's something about this particular record that I'm really drawn to. The way that it kind of just brings that spirit of, of those times back and it really feels like a classic record the way that it's been produced and recorded uh, I mean there are elements of this record that to me sound almost like Fleetwood Mac uh, there are records there are elements that kind of go on to full-on noise territory um, there are parts that even kind of sound like Angel Olsen a little bit it's kind of all over the map and it sounds like it could have come out really any time in the past 40 years or so. Uh, what makes it work, and what makes it stand out in particular to me, is it sounds really weird at times, but it also sounds really good. It, it's a collection of really solid, strong songs. Um, this is the kind of record that I feel like had this month been really, really strong, it would have been somewhere in my honorable mentions territory because it's a really strong debut. Uh, But what it really does is it makes me excited to hear what she has to come next and how she kind of takes the sound and develops it and really hones her songwriting. Uh, Does she get weirder? Does she kind of, you know, straighten up a little bit and make more straightforward songs uh the the future really is wide open for prune and the music that she intends to make but 
Um, it, it's a really, really interesting record that always manages to surprise you, even if you have a sense or an idea of what this kind of music is and what it sounds like. Um, even within songs themselves, she takes interesting left turns that you don't expect. Uh, interesting melodies that I'd say I haven't really heard before, yet at the same time sound very timeless because of the way that the record is recorded. It has this almost lo-fi sound to it, but everything's very clear. Um, like, it sounds like a really expensive recording from, like, the 60s, if that makes any sense. Again, really bringing to mind to me kind of Fleetwood Mac, but instead of doing a shit ton of cocaine, they did a shit ton of LSD instead. Uh, it's a really cool, fun record. I, get, I, I can't speak too much on it because this isn't a genre that I'm super comfortable with or super familiar with, but I think and I hope the fact that, you know, it made it to number three and I felt the need to include it on my list for this month is an indication of how unique and interesting of a record it is, um, especially within, you know, the realm of, of folk music. Uh, you know, it's, it's a genre right now that has for this Big Thief um, as an absolute powerhouse just dominating the genre. Um, and, like, I do see some similarities here with, uh, you know, folk music that's not afraid to get musically adventurous with a female vocalist. Uh, but if I'm being 100% honest with you, I think this Prune record is a lot more interesting than any Big Thief record that I've heard. And uh, she's just getting started. So check this record out and keep an eye on her. and Keep an eye on the whole Prune situation. Sound like a... <laughs> I sound like a, um, like a fermenter right now. Keep an eye on the whole Prune situation. Uh, my point being... If you like this kind of music, it's an absolute must-listen, and even if you don't, it's worth checking out because it might surprise you by how um, interesting it is, and you might be caught off guard by how much you end up enjoying it. I know that I certainly was. So, number three for August 2023, we have Prune Through the Window. Okay, yeah, uh, let's do some mentions then, These huh? These are the mentions. The mentions. Yeah. So, uh, full disclaimer, the mentions will be a little bit different this month because, um, I, I don't have an honorable mention. <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, July and August have been rough for new music releases, like... I, I, I couldn't put together a full episode for July. Uh, I've got kind of like this skeleton crew-ass episode for this month. It's been a challenge. Uh, I will say September is already looking pretty awesome. Um, there's like three or four records that came out today alone that I'm really excited to listen to. Um, but uh, yeah, August was rough. So... Again, any of the three records that I already talked about could could have been honorable mentions in any other month. Um, 
but since there was just nothing really, really that amazing in August, they managed to find their way onto a onto the rankings. So sometimes you just luck out like that, I guess. You know, uh, good for those guys. Way to take advantage of the situation. Anyway, so. Uh, I think I usually start with the honorable mention, but I don't have that, so we're gonna skip right over it, and we're gonna go right on to the mention. So, here's my mention. The mention for August 2023 is the no-name record Sundials. So, this has been a long-awaited record by no-name. Uh, no Name is a hip-hop artist uh, from the States, don't know where, somewhere. And she, uh, you know, she's really made a name for herself for making uh, extremely thoughtful, um, you know, basically poetry as rap that... Uh, you know, talks a lot about societal issues and really kind of left-wing policies and things like that. And she hasn't really put out a lot of music. This is her third full length in, uh, geez, many years, like six, seven years or so. And she's kind of built herself up as this reputation as a, you know, like a, a really good person who is, you know, working hard for her community and, uh, you know, just striving to kind of make the world a better place. She started her own book club with a focus on black authors. Um, you know, she seems like a really great person. And when this record came out, a lot of people were excited about it, rightfully so. Again, it's, it's been quite a while since we've heard from her. And you can always expect some really thoughtful, interesting hip-hop when you're listening to any no-name records. The record itself is fine. Um, I don't love it. It's not especially for me. Um, a lot of it kind of gives me, uh, like, you know, like, what's the, it's like slam poetry vibes. Which, whatever. Hey, to each their own, you know. Um, uh, she she touches on a lot of great points, you know. She calls out, uh, you know, the hypocrisy of a lot of big artists like Jay-Z, Kendrick, Beyonce for performing at the Super Bowl. Um, and, and, you know, she brings up a lot of interesting points along the record. Uh, a lot of great points. The raps themselves are, you know... Pretty slick again a bit too just kind of reading poems off of a page vibes for me and there aren't really that great hooks but like I can respect the record for what it is except for one thing so on the I think it was the first single she even released what's it called hold on give me a sec I gotta, I gotta figure out what it's called Yes, balloons. There is a J Electronica verse, which is like surface level anti-Semitic. Like 
it does not require much interpretation at all to be found as anti-Semitic. Like, that's just what it is. Like, it, that's what the verse is. <laughs> like, there, it's not an interpretation, you know? It's not an opinion. It's not subjective. Like, it is objectively an anti-Semitic verse. So, first of all, she chose to have this on her album. Not only that, she chose to have this as her first single from the album. Then, when she gets called out on it for choosing to put this anti-Semitic verse in the album, she says, it's not my verse, so it's not really my responsibility, which is, come on, absolute bullshit. You chose to put this on the record, and her defense was something along the lines of, I continue to stand in the fight against white supremacy. So, <laughs> let's, uh, let's sit with that for a second here. Is she saying that, like, she's essentially drawing a straight line correlation between anti-Semitism and being against white supremacy. She's conflating the two to be the same thing. So, she, like, am I not crazy for thinking that that sentiment in itself is anti-Semitic? To think that what she's essentially saying is the classic fucking anti-Semitic viewpoint of, you know, the Jewish people control the world, you know? What the... Really? So you get you you put an anti-Semitic verse on your record and this is someone who is very much for social issue, issues and very much for you know equality and, and equity in America but I guess not when it comes to Jewish people you know people who have been prosecuted historically uh to an absolutely devastating extent. Um, I'm a little bit confused here. So, what is your stance exactly? Are you for the people, except Jewish people? Are you, uh, you know, anti-capitalistic, but not for Jewish people? Like, like. The messaging gets really, really, really confused. And I'm sorry, but anti-Semitism does not have a place anywhere in any kind of media of any form of any kind. It's extraordinarily dangerous. Um, it's hate. It's, 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 it's hate ideology. And the fact that she is essentially doubling down on it on this record is it's fucking disgusting. So, uh, I mean, I've been seeing this record get a lot of praise from, you know, well-reputable publications and establishments. What the fuck are you guys thinking? What is wrong with you people? There's open anti-Semitism on this record that she's doubled down with when confronted by it, and you're still calling it some of the best new music to come out? 
it, it's absolutely reprehensible and like it's shameful the lack of moral integrity that a lot of these publications have um you know they want to get clicks so they need to be able to find the next big thing and talk about how great something is because it'll bring traffic to your website no like f give me a fucking break to me this is no different than you know promoting a new Kanye West album and, and calling it really good or whatever it you're still actively promoting messages of hate and you know congratulating them essentially so this has been kind of an eye-opening thing for me in a lot of ways um, because I don't care how good the rest of the record is technically objectively None of that matters anymore. As soon as you've made the decision to have this anti-Semitic verse on your record, you've stained the whole thing, you've stained your entire career, and you've stained whatever reputation you might have. So, I mean, this is basically a dishonorable mention because this is just some fucking shameful shit. Uh, no name. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for this bullshit. Um, Pitchfork, 8.8, .8, best new music, are you serious? Like, really? Are you serious? All the other publications out there who have been praising this, take a look in the mirror, okay? Take a look at society where we're at today. Take a look at the political discourse going on today. Take a look at the world at large, and you tell me if you think it's a good thing to be praising a record that is openly anti-Semitic. And, seriously, just go fuck yourself, okay? Anyway, the extremely dishonorable mention for August 2023 goes to Sundial by No Name. Fucking bullshit. Uh, okay, um, I'm back. Calm down a little bit. I think that might be the most fired up I've gotten on PH5 so far. So, uh, you know, not apologies for that because I stand by every word that I said. But, um, yeah, I've, uh, I'm chilled out now. So we're going to move on and talk about the other dishonorable mention, which, uh, I'm not as, you know, passionate about this, so I, I think I'll be able to keep myself in check for this one. So, dishonorable mention, other one, for August 2023 is Perfect Saviors by The Armed. So, for those fortunate of you who don't know about The Armed, they are this super mysterious hardcore band that is no longer a hardcore band, just kind of making straight up rock music now. Now, okay. I want to make it perfectly clear before we go any further that I have absolutely no issues with hardcore bands pivoting to making more accessible you know, streamline, quote-unquote, rock music. No issue with that at all, okay? Um, 
the military gun record from a few months ago, probably my favorite record of the year so far, is a textbook example of that. Um, hardcore kids pivoting to making more accessible music. You know, Turnstile is this really amazing, fascinating band who, you know, started out hardcore and has now made hardcore one of the most popular subgenres of rock in the world because of how successful they've gotten and they did that by pivoting to making more accessible music. Um, I'm, there's nothing wrong with doing that, okay? Artists should make what they want to make and what they feel is right for them to be making. So, no issues. The problem with the armed is two things. There are two things that bother me about this band. Number one is the fact that they seem to be stuffed so far up their asses that they can no longer see the light. Their whole thing from the beginning has been about how they're more of like a, you know, like a, a, a creative idea than an actual band. And for the longest time, no one knew who was actually in the band. And there was this, you know, mysterious fictional Dan Green character who may or may not exist and may or may not be the band. And, you know, there was the whole, like, weird cult of personality behind the mystery of whoever the armed was. And you know, at first it was kind of cool and interesting. Uh, but they really just took it way too far and, and, you know, their fans took it way too far and now they've got to be just one of the most just brazenly irritating bands out there just by how, like, cool they think they are for this mystery that they've cultivated over the years and, uh, they've got this whole, like, secret language with their fans and all this shit and it it wouldn't be that bad if like you know publications and blogs haven't just fucking eaten it up and been like yeah let's just dive right into this and like totally like they, they they've basically given agency to the arm to be as annoying as they possibly can by just feeding into their uh, you know, self-righteous bullshit. It's really annoying. And you know what, it would, it'd be fine. It wouldn't even be that much of a problem if they actually delivered on the goods, you know? I'm willing to put up with a lot of bullshit from artists if they actually make good, interesting music at the end of the day. And for a while, The Armed was actually able to do that. Uh, you know, their first record, Untitled, back when no one really knew them, was a great, you know, hardcore, grindcore record, you know? Because um, they weren't caught up in their own mythos that much yet. The focus was still on the music. And the follow-up, uh, Only Love, from 2018, was even better. And it kind of saw them incorporating more experimental nature and, and kind of wackiness into their sound that was kind of really in line with the, the whole mystery of who the band was. So that was fine. You know, like, it's, that's okay. 
you know, as long as the music is living up to whatever silliness that surrounds the music, whatever, that's okay. It was when Ultra Pop in 2020 came around that things started leaning in the wrong direction, where the focus was obviously more on, like, this weird cult of personality of the band and the, the weird mystery of the band rather than the actual music itself. Um, I just remember the press surrounding it upon its release being really, ugh, like, just hard to stomach, like, just so far up its own ass, so douchey, and the problem was the album itself had some high moments, for sure, uh, you know, the track Average Death was one of my favorites that year, for sure, but... It didn't really live up to the promise that all of the hype surrounding the band, um, you know, kind of promised, you know? It, it just wasn't quite... I don't know. It wasn't, it, it wasn't as good as they made it out to be. And this new record is the absolute, like, summation and, like, apex of this path that they've been on towards, you know, it being more about the actual band than the actual music itself. So the whole idea behind this record is, oh, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, eschewing hardcore and pivoting towards making more, you know, quote-unquote alternative rock, you know, and, and, and because of the way that the vocalist sings and a lot of the production and, and songwriting on here, it's true, a lot of this does sound like uh, the Strokes at parts. A lot of it sounds like um, Queens of the Stone Age, who they're currently on tour with. Uh, bands like this that have kind of, you know, or at least did, rule the rock airwaves back in the day. Uh, now, the main distinction between bands like The Strokes, bands like Queens of the Stone Age, you know, those bands that were all over rock radio and The Armed, is that the reason why those bands were all over rock radio was because they made actually good songs uh, that people wanted to listen to. Uh, the Armed have failed to do so on this new record. Uh, whereas in the past, when they would lean towards trying to make more accessible, um, catchy music, if you will, they always had that hardcore edge to them that they could bring in to kind of supplement their sound to at least make it more interesting than maybe the actual songwriting was. When they've no longer got that edge and they're leaning entirely into the strength of their songwriting, that's when we kind of see here that they actually aren't capable of really making good songs. Uh, you know, despite my predisposition towards this band, I really gave this album a chance. I probably listened to it the whole thing through like four times or something like that. And I wanted to spite myself. You know, I really listened to it hoping to find something interesting, hoping to find something that would grab me, that would make me want to listen to it again and come back for more. And every time I listened, I, I didn't get anything. I, I, I've, again, I've listened to this album four times or so now, and I can remember maybe like two or three parts on the album. Not even songs, just like 
parts in songs on the album, and that's it. The rest is just really unmemorable, and you can tell they're really trying to, like, be interesting, you know? Like, trying to just kind of do the most to make up for the fact that they're incapable of writing good songs. And again, it, it worked in the past, but it, it's no longer working, and unfortunately, um, you know, now that they've kind of put all their armor away and, and we see them for who they really are, the fact of the matter is, the arm just really aren't that interesting. You know, you can build up a mythos, you can build up this crazy story, you can, you know, cultivate this air of mystery all you want, but at the end of the day, if you don't make good music, it doesn't really matter. And that's kind of where we are now. So, obviously the armed are looking to make a break into the mainstream. Uh, hey, whatever. Do what you want. I have no problem with that. But if they're going to be able to make any kind of headway anywhere, they're going to have to start working with some people who actually know how to write good music. Because this record is limp. It just kind of sucks. You know? Nothing memorable. Nothing at all. And uh, I know that the title Perfect Saviors is meant to be ironic in a way, but knowing these guys is also not, you know? It's, it, I'm sure they kind of think that that's what they are. These perfect saviors to this, you know, rock scene that again, you know, if you buy into the whole rock is dead bullshit, they'll be able to bring it back to its days of glory. Well, no, not with this crap, you're not, okay? Hire some fucking songwriters, and we'll see you again in a few years. So, coming in at the other dishonorable mention for August 2023, we have the Armed with Perfect Saviors. And I hope you could hear how hard I rolled my eyes when I said that just then. These are the mentions. Okay, uh, wow. <laughs> Let's get back to the good stuff, the fun stuff, because that, uh, that mentions was pretty brutal. Um, yeah, I'm like distraught right now. I need to talk about some good music to kind of, to get back into a good space. So let's move on. Coming in at number two for August 2023, we have Horrendous with Ontological Mysterium. Isn't that just, just a classic slice of metal album title right there? Ontological Mysterium by the band Horrendous. Like, it's one of those things where once you hear the album and hear the band it's by, in a way you kind of almost know exactly what it's gonna sound like. And what's great about this record is that it is both exactly what you're expecting it to sound like, but in a lot of ways it's not at all. So, something that I've kind of learned about myself over the years of doing PH5 is, you know, I've always said that like, you know, metal music is my favorite genre or like one of my favorite genres or whatever it might be. but 
Looking back on all the records that I've talked about over the past few seasons of this podcast, I don't talk a lot about a lot of metal. Like, it takes a very kind of specific type of metal to get me excited. And that kind of, like, bass metal, you know, heavy metal, thrash metal, all that kind of stuff, uh, it, it really doesn't do it for me. Um, you know, I'm more interested in kind of the more extreme versions of metal, you know, the, the black metal, the doom metal, like, things like that. Those are the ones that do it for me, and, but when you think of just, like, metal metal, no, I don't really like that as much, I guess. You know, and, and I thought I did, but, you know, it's when faced with the facts, uh, that doesn't really seem to be the case. This is an interesting exception because there are a lot of elements of what you you or I would call traditional metal on this record. Uh, I would call it almost like a almost like a psychedelic death metal record, I guess, would be the way I would describe it. I don't know. It's a really cool album, though, um, that is both unafraid to be really weird and strange, but also unafraid to be traditional and do the obvious thing while, you know, maybe a minute or two later doing the not obvious thing. It, it really kind of subverts your expectations in both ways. Just when you think it's getting really weird, it becomes really normal. And just when you think it's becoming really normal, it gets really weird again. And it kind of pendulums back between, um, you know, being traditional and being non-traditional in a way that the whole album continues to surprise you and continues to feel fresh from start to finish. Uh, it it kind of, you know, has its roots in death metal for sure. More like fast-paced death metal, not this kind of chuggy, you know, medium tempo death metal, but more, more you know, faster paced kind of stuff. Uh, more reminiscent of, you know, what was coming out of Florida in, in the late 80s and the 90s. Um, but they're not afraid to get kind of progressive at times and, and, and go off on these kind of airy passages. And they're not afraid to shred and, and solo and, and, you know, like, just do these really, you know, straightforward headbang moments. And you can tell that this is a band that just loves the genre of metal music, no matter what subgenre it is, it has an appreciation for all of it, you know, whether it be speed metal or doom metal or prog metal, tech, tech death, anything, these guys love it all and they're not afraid to incorporate it into their sound. And what you're left with is, I mean, easily one of the best metal records of the year. Uh, and I'm sure to a lot of people it will be the best metal record of the year. And the, not the opening song, but the opening, we'll call it the, uh, the op like the real first song on the record, because the first song is like kind of a, you know, like an intro kind of thing. It's called a uh, Chrysopia, the archaeologically, the archaeology of, I don't know, something, I can't see it, is really one of like 
the finest, like, metal tracks of the year, you know? It's one of those songs that you listen to and you're just like, yeah, like, fuck yeah, like, this is so sick. Um, They're not afraid to be, you know, like, showy in that way. They're not afraid to be dark. They're not afraid to be light. They're not afraid to... They're just not afraid. And it's, it's really refreshing. It's a lot of fun. Um... It's really dark at times. It's, it's, it's just all the things that someone who loves metal loves can be found here. And uh, it, it's just, I don't know, it, it's, it's a great time. It's a great record. Uh, I, I don't know what else I can say about it. It's really just a fantastic metal album. Um, no subgenre needed because it kind of touches on basically all of them. So, coming in at number two, truly one of the finest, maybe the finest metal record of 2023. We have Horrendous with Ontological Mysterium. Okay, remember when I said, uh, this would be like a shorter, sweeter episode. Obviously not, so sorry about that. But we're at the end now, and we are coming up to number one. So, number one for August 2023, we have Fiddlehead, Death is Nothing to Us. And folks, this right here is some really, really special shit. Uh, Certainly album of the year contender. Um, if I had my uh, air horn, I would have blown that. Do you guys remember that when I used to blow the air horn for the, the album of the year contenders? Yeah, I lost that sample somewhere. Uh, I don't know where it w went. I mean, I could easily find a new one, but uh, that's just a level of effort that I'm not willing to put in today. So, Fiddlehead is... A band, it's essentially a supergroup, a post-hardcore supergroup, um, founded by Pat Flynn, um, formerly of Have Heart, and a bunch of uh, kind of old hardcore dudes that decided to reconvene and create this new band um, after Pat Flynn's dad passed away um, in the late 2010s. So Pat Flynn, for those of you who don't know, uh, was the vocalist for Have Heart, which is um, one of the most important hardcore bands of all time. And uh, the Have Heart reunion show, I believe it was in 2015, uh, is to this date uh, the, the hardcore show with the most attended hardcore show. So the hardcore show with the biggest audience. Like, this is a band that was a big deal and very important to a lot of people. And that's because of Pat Flynn's... It's basically because of him. He's a really, really, really special person. Uh, a fantastic lyricist who was really able to just pour out more emotion than you can fathom into every single song that Have Heart ever made. And those are one of those bands that just are so important to some people, you know? like. Like, their, their entire life 
was based around half heart or they saved their lives or all the kind of like um you know superfluous talk that people say about bands they would say about half heart like that's how important they were so fiddlehead comes you know about a decade or so after half heart and all these guys are in their 40s now um you know a lot of them have families you know pat flynn is actually a history teacher at a high school now so they've moved on with their lives in a way that allows them to bring this really interesting perspective to the music that they make uh so death is nothing to us is their third record um again the first record again the reason the band was made was because Pat was dealing with the death of his father and needed that outlet. Uh, the second record came, you know, not too long after Pat had kids and just kind of reckoning with the whole experience of being a father. And this new record is dealing with something that doesn't really get talked about much and isn't really popular subject uh just generally in society and that's what i'm gonna call uh dad depression so a lot of this record is about the kind of hardships and and just general depression that pat flynn is going through in his time as a middle-aged man and it's it's very heavy stuff uh, I, I not necessarily mean in terms of the sound, um, although this is definitely the heaviest Fiddlehead has sounded since uh, their inception. Um, but just in terms of the subject matter and, and, and the things that Pat is singing and, and, and screaming about in these songs, just what it's like to deal with the burden of, you know, suffering from depression as this uh, you know, a father figure as someone who is late into their life and has people, his family relying on him to be that kind of pillar of strength and that foundation. Um, and just like the struggles that come with, you know, having to deal with your own shit while still being the support system for those people in your life that need it. And this isn't like, I can't think of a lot of other bands or even really media in general that kind of talk about this kind of stuff. I mean, you could argue that The National deals with, you know, again, this kind of dad depression idea in a lot of their music, but they do it in that kind of like literary slinky way that, you know, sounds more suave than sad a lot of the time, right? But this is a really emotional record. Um, and as someone, you know, who's 33 and, you know, looking down the barrel of middle age, you know, I don't have kids, but, you know, I still frequently deal with a lot of mental health issues and, and go through mental health crises on a somewhat regular basis. And to hear someone, you know, that's even older than I am, kind of working through these issues is, uh, I mean, it, 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 it's really powerful. And, and, and 
makes me feel, I guess, less pathetic, if that makes sense. Just knowing that, you know, I'm not the only one out there who, you know, can still feel emo as a fully grown man. And that's, you know, hardcore and emo music and all this kind of thing. You know, when you think of it, you think of the the teenager with the, you know, either like the, you know, like the black hair and the makeup or, you know, like the really gruff early 20s hardcore guy. But the thing is that these issues don't really go away. Um, we may get better at dealing with them as our life goes on. You know, our support systems might grow as we get older and we, we bring more people into our lives um, and more you know systems into our lives to help alleviate a lot of that pain. But for a lot of people, that pain doesn't go away. We just get taught that we need to shun it and we need to kind of just look past it and, um, you know, be a man, if you will. And, you know, it applies to, to women as much as it does to men. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, postpartum depression is a very, very serious issue. And, uh, you know, a lot of middle-aged women have, have deal with the exact same kind of mental problems that Pat outlines on these records. Um, but it feels almost like a taboo subject. You know, this idea that, you know, middle-aged people can be depressed too. And, and, and be sad and struggle the way that younger people can. And I think that's what makes this record really, really important to me. And uh, it's a record that I wanted to explicitly share with my good friend Ryan, who became a dad for the second time just a few months ago. And has traditionally really been into hardcore and post-hardcore music. Uh, I felt like there was a lot in this record that he could listen to and really latch on to and hopefully it could serve as kind of like a beacon for him because while the record is, you know, dealing with a lot of these kind of tough issues, it's ultimately hopeful, you know, and it, it, it ends on a note of like, no, I don't want to die. Like, you know, I've, I have these things in my life that are so important to me that, um, I want to keep going and I want to be here for the people in my life that need me. And uh, I, I just think that's an important thing that a lot of people need to hear. And it's, it's important for anyone of any race, any gender, anyone, and any anything to be able to see representations of who they are in popular media. You know, it, it helps them realize that they aren't alone um, that there are other people out there that are just like them, that are dealing with the same things that they are. And that just really helps to make you feel less insane and less kind of isolated in this world. Um, and that's a lot of what this record does. You know, it's, it's very affirming uh, that it's okay to be a sad 40-year-old, you know? Like... You don't need to feel shame in experiencing these feelings. You don't need to feel shame in being a part of a family and, and feeling hopeless and, and defeated some days, despite the fact that you have this whole group of people that needs you. Um, 
you're not alone, basically. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, you're not alone music for teenagers, but there's really not a lot of it for, you know, people who are approaching the middle age. People that, you know, maybe otherwise have decently good lives that still struggle with these mental problems despite all of that. Um, and that's why I just really think it's, it's such an important record, uh, lyrically and uh, just the way that Pat and the band kind of confront these issues, you know, being in your 40s and still, you know, yelling and screaming like you did when you were 20. Um, it just goes to show that, that that emotion and that passion, it doesn't have to go away if you don't want it to. And then there's just the, the fact of the rec matter that this record contains some of Fiddlehead's best songs. Um, just the, the, the opening half is absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, it kind of gets a little bit, peters off a little bit in its second half, but um, still a collection of fantastic songs. And the kind of um, centerpiece of the record, Sullen Boy, is just an absolutely outstanding piece of art in every imaginable way. Um, definitely Song of the Year contender. It's actually the first song I've heard since Blood and Butter by Carolyn Polachek that I would say um, is rivaling that Song of the Year spot. It is really, really powerful stuff um, and kind of encapsulates the whole theme of the record into one song. And it, it, it is essentially, at this point, I would say, the definitive Fiddlehead song. Um, just really, really powerful stuff. Um, such a special song. Uh, it, you know, it's made me tear up a few times now. I'm not even gonna lie. Not even gonna lie. But again, it's a, it's a song that ends with hope. And a song that ends with resolve. and ends with Pat you know, fighting through this darkness and realizing that the things in his life are worth fighting for. And, uh, that's the whole Pat Flynn ethos right there. You know, whether it's Have Heart, whether it's Fiddlehead, uh, his whole thing has always been, you can push through the darkness and, uh, you know, you can find love on the other side. And, um... This record is Fiddlehead's most challenging confrontation of that, but in my opinion, definitely their most effective and best record. And maybe one of the best records this year. Only time will tell. But anyway, uh, coming in at number one for August 2023, we have Death Is Nothing To Us by Fiddlehead. And that will do it. Wow, uh, another long one, whatever. Y'all love this shit anyway, right? Thanks as always for listening. Uh, I think the episode went pretty well, despite the fact that I went into it honestly not really being sure what I was gonna talk about or how it would end up going. You know, I, I'm actually pretty happy with it. I hope that you guys feel the same way as well. So, Enjoy your September, despite what they may tell you, summer's not over yet, so squeeze out every last drop of this 
sunshiny goodness, and we will chat again in a few weeks. This is Phil May signing off, PH5. Thanks as always for listening.